We get confused over the these and nows, you know. That's really not, that's like a five-minute English lesson. That's really not hard to understand. Um, but, you know, that, that, this is just fairly easy. So, anyway, good translations and, and poor translations. Um, does that mean you can't use a poor translation? Um, no, but you probably want to be careful with it. Because uh, sometimes they say things that, you know, is, is not really good. They're not right. All right. Uh, other thing I want to make sure that we covered is this. Uh, this is the <coughs> this question is: Does the Lord discipline us, and if so, how? Now we know throughout the Old Testament that the Lord disciplined, and many times He did that on the spot. And if you remember, uh, we have some accounts of people like Nadab and Abihu; uh, they were disciplined on the spot. Uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram also disciplined on the spot. You remember those people that were, you know, the earth opened up and swallowed them up? Yeah. Um, you know, we could list a lot of others, but does the Lord still discipline us under the new covenant? That's a good question. Well, let's read some passages uh, talking about the Lord and uh, whether he chastens us today, which would be uh, similar here. <coughs> but when... Uh, see, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 32. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the, with the world. So, chastening is discipline that keeps us from being lost. Um, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, several verses here. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which reasoneth with you as with sons. My son, regard not lightly the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art reproved of him. Skip down to verse 7. <coughs> Hebrews 12 and verse 7. It is for chastening that ye endure God uh, that ye endure. God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father chasteneth not? But if you are without chastening, whereof all have been made partakers, uh, then you are reprobate, and not sons. Furthermore, we had the fathers of our flesh to chasten us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed, uh, for a few days, chastened us as seemed good to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. All chastening seemeth for the present to be not joyous, but grievous. Yet afterward it yieldeth peaceable fruit unto them that have been exercised thereby, even the fruit of righteousness. So, obviously, the Lord does Discipline us in some form or fashion. Now the next question is, how does he do this? How does he chasten us? You know, because you know we see that he does, but it's not explicit. It's not clear on how this happens. So let's let's think about this. How does he uh, discipline us today? Well, uh, the first thing that really comes to my mind is the Lord disciplines us through brethren. Uh, you think about Matthew 18, 
and uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and talking about uh, church discipline, well, you know, he uses the brethren to discipline us. Now, now a lot of times we, we, we think about 1 Corinthians 5 and we go, well, that's talking about withdrawal of fellowship. No, 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 that's not talking about withdrawal of fellowship. That's talking about church discipline. What's the difference? The difference is you don't want to withdraw fellowship. You want to get it taken care of before it gets to that point. And so you want to go and you, you discipline. Now, how do you discipline? Matthew 18. Uh, you go to your brethren. If they won't, they won't hear you, you take witnesses with you. You go to them again. If they still won't hear you, bring it before the church. Now, um, this is how the Lord disciplines. One of the ways the Lord disciplines us is through our brethren. Our brethren are to help take care of us and help us to be better people. And so that's why we need to have relationships, brethren, uh, so we know what's going on with everybody. And if we come in and we just fill a spot and we leave uh, and we don't get to know other people and we don't allow people to get to know us, then we don't have this opportunity. We don't have this opportunity to help each other better uh, ourselves. You know, we need to uh, better ourselves. Uh, so this is one way it's done. Another way that the Lord uh, will uh, discipline us is through the Word. Uh, I think about John 12 and verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. So we have to go by the Word of God because in the end we're going to be judged by it. We need to make sure we know what it says. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. <clears throat> Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. So when we're looking at the scripture, uh, we, we think of this in a positive light. We think of, you know, it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for proof, for correction. Those, those are things, you know, I've often heard my teachers back at Memphis and they'd say, hey, um, this passage is two-thirds negative. You know, people want to say, hey, we need some, we need some positive preaching. And we do. Uh, but when you look at this passage, it's two-thirds negative. Now, I don't know that that's a mathematical formula to preaching. Uh, but when you're looking at the Word of God, it is able to correct us. It is able to lead us down the right path. And, and so that is why it is uh, important to... Study the Word, because the Word also uh, disciplines us. Now, there's one uh, other area where I, I could see that discipline uh, comes from the Lord, and that is through providence. You know, things happen to us, and we have no control over these things. But, as we see in Romans 8 and verse 28, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, those who are called according to His purpose. So everything that happens to us, you know, there's something that can be worked out for good, even if it's not a very good circumstance. So, yes, we can be disciplined uh, by the Lord, and that can happen uh, through providence. Now, <laughs> I've heard so many people uh, talk about politics in this way. You know, we have certain presidents, and we uh, have certain politicians that keep us kind of in in uh, this this state that we're currently in, and well, you know, 
that's just providence in action giving us a lesson, teaching us what we need. And that very well may be the case. Very well may be the case that we need to learn a lesson. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, we know that all things work together for good of those who love the Lord, those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, so, three areas where uh, the Lord disciplines us, that is through brethren, through the Word, and through providence. Um, let's see, I, I've, I've, got, I've got one more that I can do, and, and then I'll save the other two for next time. And that is this. Uh, if you would look at Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, and look at verse 21. <clears throat> it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so uh, someone gave me this question and said, Hey, there's a person I know that they believe in the power of, of the spoken word, that, that if somebody says something... Uh, especially, you know, when we're talking about life and death scenarios, um, you know, this would not be uh, something that they would want to be heard said. Uh, so, you know, one, one uh, example was given, not that this was ever said, but this was the example that was given, is that uh, somebody is uh, having, a, you know, putting, you know, sweet and low or sugar or something into their drink, and they said, hey, you know, uh, I, I guess I guess really sweet and low, huh? You know, it's going to have some... Some bad stuff in it. But anyway, look, that stuff will give you cancer. Oh, no, don't say that because that could happen. You know, that it, with you saying that, you know, life and death are in the tongue. Now, what does this mean? Now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to use some of those examples that we gave as proper interpretation uh, that we gave this morning. All right, so what was one of the, the rules of interpretation? One of the rules of interpretation was to take a word in its literal form unless the end of it was absurd. Okay, so when we're talking about just speaking and saying things, um, if I were to speak out right now and name off any individual and said, you're going to die, even if I said immediately, how often do you think that's going to happen? You know, statistically speaking, that's not going to happen. You know, if if we did it once, maybe we try it a second time. Is that what we do? But you know, what we do is 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 we need to look at the scriptures and see what it's teaching. What is this teaching? You know, is is this literally? You know, life and death. Literally, life and death are in the tongue. Well, obviously not, because. When a person is translating this uh, or um, um, interpreting this, they're looking at it and going, well, um, they're not using the literal tongue, are they? No, what are, they, what are they saying? They're talking about spoken word, right? Well, that's right. That's exactly what it is. We're not talking about the tongue. You know, otherwise, this would be absurd. Life and death are in the tongue. That, that doesn't make any sense. All right, so life and death are in... Spoken word. All right, now what about that? That still doesn't quite make sense. Now when we look at this passage, life and death are in the tongue means this. The ultimate good and the ultimate evil 
or in the tongue. You can use the tongue for various purposes. You can use the tongue for good and you can use the tongue for evil. You can use the tongue for both those things. But that's what it is. It's, it is the ultimate good and the ultimate evil are in the spoken word. Now, look at the rest of this passage. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, if we're talking about the ultimate good and the ultimate evil can be used by the tongue, and it says after that, that they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, what does that mean? Well, it simply means this. You know, you're, you're going to get the reward of whatever that is. You're going to speak ultimate good, you're going to get that reward. You speak ultimate evil, you're going to get that reward. So, the ultimate good, the ultimate evil are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And I apologize. Uh, we have um, a couple of... Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to do one more. Is that, is that all right? Am I going to get lynched afterwards if I do one more? All right. I'll trust you. I saw a couple of heads shaking. I'll trust you. All right, one more. Do you really need two or more together to worship? That's a good question. I think I've heard this throughout my life. Uh, preaching, I have heard preachers actually preach on the subject and say, hey, when you worship, you have to have two or more people together because where two or more are gathered in his name, I am in the midst of them. All right, so what does this mean? Now, we're going to have to look at the passage together. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verse 15 and following. Fifteen through twenty. And if thy brother sin against thee, go show him his fault between thee and him alone. If he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he hear thee not, take with thee one or two more, that the mouth of two witnesses or three, every word may be established. And if he refuse to hear them, tell it unto the church. And if he refuse to hear the church also, let him be unto thee as a Gentile and the publican. Verily I say unto you, what things soever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what things soever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they, they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So, obviously what this is teaching is... We cannot worship alone. Is that right? Well, when you look at the context, that's not what it's teaching, is it? It's not talking about worship. What is it talking about? It's talking about this church discipline aspect. You know, we're not talking about when there's two or more people together, then you can worship God. Um, no, what he's saying is, is when you go and you have to take those witnesses with you, and they are there to what? To establish every word. Whenever you do that, I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. I am okaying this. I'm in the midst of them. They are doing my work. So, you know, when we, we think of this, this is not in the context of worship. 
It is in the context of discipline. Matter of fact, uh, this uh, similar thing is mentioned in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. Now, to further this idea, because I want to make sure that we have this um, uh, very, very uh, solidified in our minds, John, uh, we, we know, was isolated to the Isle of Patmos. In isolation, was he able to worship God? Absolutely. Uh, we have several instances, even in Scripture, of individual prayer. Is prayer not an aspect of worship? You know, then if we cannot uh, uh, worship ourselves, we cannot worship um, we, by prayer. We cannot say prayers alone. We have to have uh, two or more people together to say a prayer. Uh, furthermore, and we know that's not right because, you know, we're told even to uh, go into our closets, go into a secret place and pray. Don't pray out in front of everybody else. Um, but another thing that, that we could mention is this, is, you know, you think about uh, in Genesis, uh, was that 22 and verse 5, where Abraham it says, you know, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. You know, we're, we're going to go somewhere to worship. You know, we are worshiping there. Uh, they, they were by themselves. They were, you know, two people. So obviously, when we're looking at this, we have to keep this in the context. Is this, is this going to be uh, an instance where there's two or more together in order to worship? Or is it going to be that, that a person can worship by themselves? Well, you know, obviously, when we're looking at it, you know, a person can worship by themselves. They don't have to have anybody with them um, now uh, and, and really uh, to add on to that it, it's just taking this passage out of context is all that this is um, but there's another thing that we need to mention with this we need to be careful about this too uh, because somebody will say alright well now that I know that I don't have to have someone with me to worship um, I am going to drive out to the Super Bowl next weekend, and I'm going to worship in my car, and then I'm going to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, people would very, very aptly justify that. They'll say, "Yes, I, I, I can do that. Well, I can worship by myself." Well, now we're in violation of something else. And we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. We are to come together. Part of our coming together is to encourage each other. And when we're not here, we're not encouraging someone. So just because we have the liberty uh, to worship by ourselves doesn't mean that we take that liberty when it's not necessary. So we don't just go and, you know, as tempting as it might be for all you Denver fans out there, because I know there's tons of them in Kansas and, and Missouri, you know, because... Hey, Denver is awesome. But, you know, when all you Denver fans out there, you can't go. You cannot go to the game and justify it. You just can't. Why is that? You're in violation of Matthew 10, or, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You know, we, we need to make sure that we are here to encourage each other. That's part of the reason that we're here. It's to worship God, number one, uh, but it's to encourage each other, number two. And so we need to be careful with this. 
where, where would this be applicable? Um, if for some reason you're stranded on a desert island, you're good. Don't worry about it. You worship God. If, if you are in another country, you're the only Christian around. Don't worry about it. You're good. You can do that. If everybody dies off the face of this planet and you're the only one left, you're good. You can still worship God. You know, that, th- there's, the extent of this is, is basically this. Look, we don't have to have someone else around to worship the Lord. We don't have to have someone there when we pray. If we want to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we can do that by ourselves. We don't have to have somebody else. Um, and so whenever it comes to worship, uh, this is not what this, this text is talking about. It's talking about church discipline. And, and that's really the end of that matter. I know that, uh, again, this is not one of those sermons. Uh, this time you know, we get together and you know, we're going over questions and answers. I believe this is a good time for us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have some questions that you'd like answered... Uh, please bring them, and, and we'll do that this uh, the next time we have this, which will be the next fifth Sunday. Um, so if you have some, please, please bring them. Uh, I'll be glad to uh, entertain these questions. But maybe it is tonight that there's someone here that needs to get right with the Lord, that they are not right uh, with our Father in heaven. And we want you to do that tonight. Uh, maybe you've never become a Christian. Uh, that means that we have to hear the Word of God, which, you know, we've done that partially tonight. We hear and we believe and we repent and we confess. And then we have to live faithfully after we're baptized. Uh, and so we, we, we need to, uh, to do these things. And so if you have not yet become a Christian by being baptized in Christ, we want you to do that today. And so if there's anybody in need to respond to the invitation, please come as we stand as we sing. cry